back to a better world. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Us, well, the royal us, the royal we, that is. I am on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on A Better World, and on A Better World TV every Monday evening at 7 p.m. broadcast out of New York City, in particular in Manhattan, on community cable access television. A Better World has been on the air since March of 1993, carrying these subjects of the values of creating a better world, the priority of creating a better world, and the backbone, if you will, of uh, the values and the integrity that carries forward into the creation of a better world. So all the subjects we deal with in one way or another, looking at the micro level of our lives, the inner psychological level, emotional level, all the way to the larger outer ecological level, the macro that I speak about as well, having to do with our planet, with the ecosystem, with climate change, with our place actually even in the solar system, the galaxy. So truly on every level we really really seek to discuss and bring into focus the varying levels of our existence. Very interesting. We as humanoids, as primates, as well as divine beings, uh, maybe here traveling on spaceship Earth, as Buckminster Fuller would say. So when you develop this kind of larger picture and simultaneously smaller picture, one develops a holistic picture. And in that way, one can expand and contract as needed per subject. And bearing in mind one while discussing the other, and uh, vice versa. Very interesting to do this. It's an exercise in imagination, and it really helps to expand our neural network because we are multitasking mentally, not physically at that moment, although sometimes we bring physical exercises to bear as well, such as Tai Chi Chuan or Qigong or other types of movement that can be coordinated with these kinds of mental gymnastics, if you will. So at the end of the day, we have something called brain fitness. Well, today we are focusing on the subject as described in our newsletter, which if you do not yet get it, please sign up at www.abetterworld.tv, abetterworld.tv, it's free, and it goes out to some 70-plus thousand people across the world discussing the shows of the following week, as well as with the blog that I write, or announcements of different events across New York, the tri-state area, or the country, for that matter. Conferences, events, music, film, things that are really designed for upping the ante and creating a greater sense of connectedness, belonging, and well-being for people to prosper from on any number of different levels. 
As mentioned in this week's newsletter, today's show focuses on life purpose and out of that, our relationships, our relationships with ourselves, with our environment, and with each other. But first, let's look at life purpose. You know, when a child comes into this world, he or she doesn't really have a conceptual sense of what this whole game is about. Now, there are those exceptional beings who do. You know, you could say like the composer of the music that opened up today's show and all of our shows, Mozart. There may have been some inkling as to what his prior life or prior psyche was uh, since he was so gifted so early musically and was able to write uh, so prolifically at ages as tender as four, five, and six years old, long before he would have had a chance to develop the intellectual acuity or prowess to do so under what would have been considered normal or conventional circumstances. And sometimes it is said that when people come in so gifted as this, that it's a recollection from a past life. I don't know if that's true or not. Certainly it's an interesting idea and perhaps plausible in some worldviews and something we would have to certainly take under consideration because of the exceptionalness of the situation. But for the most part, people kind of uh, tumble and stumble into this life, even if they had made a prior decision with their angels, their archangels, or their guides, as is often said, with a sole purpose, a sole direction as to what this life will consist of for the maturation and evolution of their soul. That's one way to think about it. And I'm not sure it's the only way at all. And so by no means do I posit that. But I do want to suggest that when we come, we are... We have our inclinations, we have our predilections, uh, and we're also rather open and flexible. It's different for everyone what that ratio between uh, fixed and flexible is. And we're not here to kind of go into that in great detail, but things such as the human design system, uh, the uh, astrological sciences and other means uh, of looking and examining can define and determine what those levels and those ratios are. But for the most part, we kind of come tumble and stumble in and we arrive and we're looking around and we're touching and feeling and listening and seeing and speaking and doing all of the things we do, tasting and crying and laughing and beginning to just experience what being in this material form is all about at, uh, you know, from inception, conception, I should say, then inception and forward. And 
when we get a little maturer in age, we begin to develop our intellectual capacities with the ability to self-reflect. And when we do that, we begin to wonder about this thing called identity, i.e., who are we? Who am I? And how did I get this way? And was I formed or am I forming myself? How much of my identity is formed by my social context and how much is formed by my own cognition and my own making, my own shaping? Well, these are very good questions. And underneath all of this is, well, why am I here at all? And who is the I also, of course, becomes a rough-and-tumble question (laughs) and an important one. And let's just, for practical purposes, say that this I distinguishes us in general from all other creatures and objects, for that matter, uh, that we are surrounded by. And so we have some sense of self-identity, This being has a name, this being has a body, this being has a place of origin, a place called home, usually a set of parents, sometimes siblings, dogs, cats, a school, you know, has some sense of social environment and context to which, through which, he relates to himself and to others, the world around him or her. So I'm laying this all out, you could say, very generically, so we can uh, really more objectively tune in and ask ourselves these very subjective questions, such as, what is the purpose of this being's life? I don't pretend to know who this being is. I know I have a name. I know I have certain skills, talents, gifts, values, preferences. I can tell you some somewhat objective facts, items, details about this being, this personality, but is this all I am, a personality? Or underneath personality, might I have something called character? And how morphable is this personality? And how morphable is this character? And let's say uh, underneath this character is what I refer to as this other refined level of existence, of being, called a soul that is usually defined uh, in religious and sometimes spiritual circles, arenas, contexts, and it has a fairly wide spectrum of definitions. But here we'll say that it is our connection to the intelligence of the universe itself to what we could also refer to as source, or to even up that ante a bit, divine source. Let's have fun. Let's use our imagination. Let's truly imagine that we do have a divine source 
from which we issue. We come forward and start to express our biological form, our material form, from a spiritual base. Why not? We've never proven that's not true, and there are so many indications that it is. So, for fun's sake, let's accept that premise. Not as true, but as plausible and perhaps practical and maybe even highly intelligent. Okay, can I be more ecumenical than that? I don't think so. So we'll accept that premise. From this premise, we could really drill down and say, what in the world is my life, you know, adding the possessive, my life about? What is life about? What is material life about? What is the species life about? What is the life on earth altogether about in all of its manifestation? All of these are really valid, important questions to ask and helps to bring us to a place of least identity with any one of them. It helps to create a, uh, an, a, a greater objectivity and detachment so we can simply free ourselves from having any inclination toward any one story from which we can then begin to shape and define a story. Well, you could call it a personal narrative. You could call it an objective uh, um, um, species-wide narrative. Whatever it is that fits for us can be the basis of our thinking and our story. Interesting, huh? So let's get a little bit more personal now. Let's say I experience myself as alive. I've identified myself as human in the midst of a series of primates of my antecedents. Um, I see that I am among numerous, literally thousands of different kinds of life forms. And I see that I have this gift of language and thought i.e. a way of reflecting and being conscious of my thinking and my considerations. I can be aware of my attention, aware of my sensations, aware of my feelings. This is very cool. We don't know if other animals, other life forms experience with this level of specificity as we do, or ability to articulate our experience through language as we do, and maybe the same and maybe more so. Look at whales, look at dolphins. Their brains are certainly bigger. You know, we actually don't know. We know that they have highly sophisticated forms of communication and language. We've been able to discern that. Um, Is it actually superior to us 
and ours, and do we even know what superior would mean? So maybe it would just mean more complex, more sophisticated, uh, more multidimensional. Maybe, maybe. Don't know. But just on the table for being interesting and worthy of our attention. But I want to come back to us, I, self, and the definition of life purpose. Let's narrow it down a little bit and deal with culture. We can even use Ken Wilber's uh, beautiful four quadrants as a way of taking a peek into a definition of self and a review of this notion called life purpose. So in the first quadrant, we're dealing with some of what I've already outlined, the deep interior subjective quality of self, of being, of um, the ontological nature of our existence. Uh, not knowing is as valuable, if not more, than knowing where emptiness and openness are high value, values. Novelty, perhaps, as well. Clarity, discernment are all qualities that may very well be present in someone who is meditating contemplating, uh, reflecting on the subject of life purpose. Then we move to the second quadrant, which is a more objective domain. gives us some sense of measurement related to typically our body, to our physicality. That gives us, again, some kind of feedback as to our health, perhaps the quality of relaxation, of mind, of perhaps even mindfulness, of the activity of our brain, of our brain's coherence, of perhaps, a la heart math, our heart's coherence, of the uh, behavior of our cells, cellular activity, um, cellular health, ex um, respiration, detoxification, uh, elimination, all very interesting organ function, and that has some bearing on quadrant number one as well. How do we feel? And if the signs and signals are good in quadrant two, it would probably indicate that we are feeling pretty good subjectively in quadrant one. Then we could skip to quadrant three, which uh, if one is I, subjective, then three is we, subjective. And when we expand out from our deep interior selves, we become connected to what we could call our cultural self, the we in our lives, our family, our relationships, our connectedness to the outside world, while still subjective, while still artistic, creative, thoughtful, reflective. But now it's, a, a group context. That, to us, another sense of ourselves and maybe another sense of our life purpose. 
you can really begin to imagine what that might look like. Uh, since we're all connected and we have a deep subjective sense of that in quadrant one, that only gets deepened in quadrant three because, say, when someone laughs, we feel inclined to laugh. When someone cries, we feel inclined to cry. When someone smiles, we feel inclined to smile. And there is a level of sympathetic and empathic, empathetic activity that naturally occurs in our nervous system as well as in our hearts and minds. There's just a uh, simpatico, we say, a connectedness and uh, a sense of belonging as though we have one very large immune system and nervous system, feeling system. Well, with that said, if we see that someone is suffering in a world that is other well, otherwise chock full of well-being, happiness, joy, laughter, love, we say, hey, hey, we want to do something. We want to help that person. We want to intercede here in some way to lessen the suffering of another and help them see a brighter day. How can we do that? And many people's lives then become dedicated through this service to helping to alleviate the suffering or pain or poor interpretation of reality of another person, another interpretation that might have them see the world as an unhappy place, as a sad place, as the cup half empty, according to Zen, you know. And so we want to then interface in such a way as to help them have a more buoyant perspective. And then there is the fourth domain, the uh, objective domain, pluralized, if you will, from the second to the fourth. And that opens up a space of our social institutions to systems thinking. Again, in the objective domain, but group and there we will find organizations, we will find religious, political institutions, we will find government, we will find ways of dealing with the collective, but with some objective modality. You with me? And there we can say, well, I want to contribute to the overall good of the world through my affiliation with, identity with, connection to an institution of some sort, a system of some sort. So that lays out the four quadrants as articulated so amazingly by, by Ken Wilber. And there's a good deal more to them, but that is enough for right now to give us a footing in different ways to reflect upon ourselves and to see who we are relative to this idea of life. What do I feel? And these are the questions that can help guide us, guide you, guide anyone to 
some sense of what that is. What do I feel called to do? What do I feel passionate about? What really wakes me up in the morning? What gives me a sense of meaning daily in my life? When I do this instead of that, I find the blood moving in my veins more purposefully. There's meaning, there's joy, there's excitement, there's arousal, there's passion. There's a sense of connectedness, of belonging. All of these are features of creating a social tapestry, a social integrity, in fact, which if there is that occurring, there stands then to be a greater sense of individual integrity. And that is a two-way street, by the way. The more I have on my level of personal integrity and personal meaning, the more I'm then contributing to the larger whole, the larger social meaning, valuation of life itself. So are you with me? You're following the kind of the sequence of where we gain a sense of purpose. If we become titillated when we see another person smile or laugh, we may say, gee, that feels so good. Yes, it does come back down to the subjective in so many ways. That is something that pleases and pleasures me so much that in my life, I want to be able to have that experience over and over again. And I see that by pleasuring others, by pleasing others, by making them laugh, smile, feel good about themselves, brings me that pleasure and joy. I may want to engage in a number of activities that will continually, continuously bring that to others. Maybe that means the field of entertainment. Maybe that means the field of teaching. Maybe that means uh, it could mean anything because smiling and laughter and feeling good can come from so many different domains. Maybe it means that I want to go into business and uh, produce a product that uh, feels good to the skin that makes people laugh, that is enjoyable, you know, or on deeper levels, that stimulates some kind of intellectual aliveness and curiosity. Maybe it brings me then into the domain of science. Maybe it brings me into the wish to farm because I see that smile on people's face when I give them a delicious tomato or cucumber from my garden. You see, it's so variable. Maybe it's I want to go into some kind of profession that would allow me to speak about things of a, of a deep and lofty nature, such as God, such as spirit, such as metaphysics. Because when I see the smile, in the other person, 
it's not just their mouth smiling, it also looks like their heart is smiling. And that seems to happen when we talk about such deep matters. So you can begin to connect the dots between a sense of personal life purpose uh, that can be derived from either one's own sense of pleasure or bliss, as Joseph Campbell would say, internally for oneself, and let that be the guiding light. Or, as Werner Erhardt has been known to say, look around at the world if you don't know what brings you meaning and purpose. Look around at the world and see what looks like it needs to be done, accomplished, served, provided, where others are not, or needs more, let's say, food to hungry Asians, Africans, or for that matter these days, Americans in the inner city or the far out rural areas where we have some 18 million children going to bed hungry almost every night here in the wealthy, otherwise materially wealthy, United States of America. Now you could certainly ask yourself, what kind of wealth is that where very few people have that wealth, and they're allowing 18 million children of their own basic culture to go to bed every night hungry. You may want to think about that one for a few minutes. But the vantage point from this perspective is that you look at the needs of others and how they well up in your heart and the satisfaction of which brings meaning and joy to you. At the end of the day, it's the meaning and the joy that brings forth the purpose. Let's take a brief musical break, and we'll be back in a moment. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. Glad you're joining us, thinking on these things as Krishnamurti would say. And 
that principle can be applied to this entire notion of life purpose. What we find is, and science has corroborated, as I just cited, when we give of ourselves, be it from our own emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, or somatic nature, or give what we may hold and have to others, for others, we receive. Now, it had to be a brilliant creator to come up with that one, but it's true. When do we feel the greatest joy? When we're giving to others. What it is we have in any way, shape, or form to others. And that is to quadrant three, culture, our society, our world, our tribe, all sentient beings, if you want to really expand the paradigm. And we can go beyond that. We can go beyond our earthly creatures to galactic, to solar systemic. But let's stay on Earth. It's easier. (laughs) But I do want to expand this thinking that it really can become literally intergalactic and without sounding overly uh, metaphysical or uh, oriented toward the UFO world, which is absolutely just fine because the Earth needs so much attention. But remembering that we have a cosmic identity, a galactic identity, a universal identity, as well as, in fact, every bit as much as we have an earthly identity. And I really will assert that remembering this higher, larger, deeper, more infinite identity is of deep, deep value. Here on Earth in our day-to-day, one foot in front of the other lives, we can carry on in a true, holistic, synergistic, and synthetic way. Not wearing synthetics, no, no, but synthesis. And that's what I'm talking about here. Bringing things under one roof, if you will, and telling a story about humanity, our humanity, and our species, and then downward to our tribe, our evolutionary group, so that we are really taking all matters into consideration. Now, there's a wonderful old phrase that comes to us from the past, that if we behave well on earth, if we do our job, if we fulfill our life purpose here on earth, heaven will chase us. Well, what does that mean? Say it means that if we do our job in an upright, upstanding way, i.e. with integrity, when we really, uh, when we really articulate a narrative worth telling, that is a narrative of virtue, of peace, of well-being for all, of cooperation among our species and other species with the animal and non-animal and human and non-human alike. When we relate to Earth as a living being, 
Gaia, Pachamama. When we do that, heaven, let's say that means universal intelligence, multidimensional intelligence, comes to smile upon us, comes to bless us. We have these words in our language of blessing, of giving from above, of seeing from above, of God's mercy. Really interesting. Of divine gifts. Our language is embedded. Our culture is embedded with these kinds of notions. Generosity, prosperity. And that means, of course, spiritual prosperity every bit as much as financial or material prosperity. If we could see that these are interlaced, intertwined, not separate, wholly entangled, then we will be freer from having to decide between them, which many people do. Many many people get caught up in that dichotomy, in that seeming polarity between matter and spirit. I'm saying there is no polarity. It appears as polarity, but it is truly one. Two sides of the same coin. Form is not form. Form comes from no no form. It comes from what appears as the invisible. And I would suggest that these are just different arrangements of molecules and atoms and space in between. So we're dealing with subtler forms of materiality which become so subtle that there's more space, a lot more space, than particle and even wave. And what's even in between, forget a particle, what's in between the waves? Intelligence. Universal intelligence, I posit. And in that space, we can live and we can receive the gifts from above. Interesting. So, coming all the way back down to Earth, but feeling rather spacious in so doing, we can say, hey, look, on Earth, we eat, we drink, we sleep, we eliminate, we love, we connect, we celebrate, we create, and we suffer. (laughs) Yes, we suffer. Perhaps we suffer from not knowing. Perhaps we suffer from physical pain. Perhaps we suffer from emotional pain. Perhaps we suffer from lack of understanding. Perhaps we suffer from a lack of the experience of belonging. Big, big. We suffer from a lack of relatedness, the basis of relationship, relating to ourselves, relating deeply to others in a meaningful, vulnerable, open-hearted, big-minded way. So that brings in uh, the second subject that we've been doing a dance around for the entire show of relationship. And we have 
personal relationships. We have family relationships. We have professional relationships. We have objective, more objective relationships. On it goes. But of course, what interests us most is the more intimate relationships. And that doesn't necessarily mean romantic or sexual. But it can, and it's delightful when it does. Certainly, we're talking about close relationships where we feel we can speak our truth, we can speak our perception, we can speak our creativity, where we can demonstrate our creativity through body, through song, through movement, through writing, through any number of different artistic expressions. And we can be present with others, sharing on this deep level, reflecting together, thinking together, feeling together. Wow, that sounds like a family. That sounds like a tribe. That sounds like lovers. That sounds like friends. Yeah, all of the above. And we can and we are interacting with each other on all of these levels all of the time. We reserve certain words like love for those that we are closest to Usually, but I would say that there is love that connects the entirety of the universe. And when we connect to that level or that frequency, that vibration, if you will, we find ourselves loving everyone and everything. That is, let's say, even though it might not fully apply, but let's say that's a very high level of being or another way of thinking about it, a very, very highly mature way of being, very psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually mature. How cool that that could be in our lives, that could be in our present, that can be in our future, and the more we memorize that kind of experience, the more neural connections we'll have to that experience, and therefore the more we're building a frame of reference, a code, a mode, uh, a habitual nature that brings us to experience because we've actually built a part of our brain and the memory circuits needed to reactivate it, sense of connectedness, sense of belonging, sense of safety, sense of ease and relaxation. Wow. And we can do all of this ourselves in some very meaningful ways. Yeah, we actually can. We have the inner resources to create an environment in and around ourselves of such safety and such ease with self, with a flowing sense of open identity, yet also with boundary. How do I know? We're making up the story, telling the story, so we can 
articulate it and shape it in whatever way we want. So why not tell a good story? Now, honestly, the domains of fields of neurolinguistic programming, of hypnotherapy, of theater, of the use of creative imagination, of novel writing, of poetry, of deep expression through music, these are all ways of getting in touch with that highly creative, what can be highly affirming and positively affirming nature of our own. So let's have fun. Let's say I get meaning from listening deeply to and connecting deeply with Of course, my friends, my family, my tribe, but even professionally. So what profession did I select? Psychology, counseling, coaching, psychotherapy, healing, stress management, consulting, in any domain, doesn't matter, communicating. Because at base of all is relationship. And the way to articulate and deepen relationship and build its integrity is through, oftentimes, the use of language. Verbal, yes, and nonverbal, both. And let's say, now that I've created this ground, I want to create a community, a community of people who are connected, who feel a sense of belonging, who provide for each other that sense of belonging, that realize that we are the authors of our own story, that we are involved in making up our own story, so doggone it, why not make up a good one? We are the myth makers. We are the storytellers. One of the most ancient arts on the planet. One of the foundations of culture. Sitting around the bonfire, sitting around the cave, sitting on the beach, I like to think also. You betcha. All of the above. These are the ways we articulate. And this is the way we evolve as a group. And in this community that I have, we have built... We have a social identity, and we say we want to make our own food. We want to grow from seeds the finest, most delicious, most nutritious food from our own hands and our own tilling of the soil. We want to pick berries and fruit and seeds and nuts off the the trees and the shrubs and the bushes right in our own backyard here in New York City, as you hear the sirens in the ba- in the background. <laughs> yes, even here in the Big Apple, see? We're apple picking already. I want to have this community. I want to be part of this community where people feed each other, where we trade with food because we enjoy trade, because someone else has some clothing that I would like or some music that I want to play in my living room 
or dance to in my dining room or what have you. So we use the food or we can even evolve money as a common denominator for our transactions. And we can say that we want to keep that money in the flow and always to be used for our and uh, the collective good. We can tell the story that there are values connected to the transaction of money, of barter, of, 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 of spending, of saving. We're all doing it for the common good, for the commons, for the public value. How cool. And that public value includes my own personal sense of value and my own personal benefit but that we recognize the mutuality and the reciprocity, the give and the take, the give and the receive. And that is the base. So, yes, there can even be money. Yes, it can coincide also with the joy of barter, of trading apples and oranges. And what am I, in, what am I saying here? but that through a healthy relationship with self, healthy relationship with my sense of self-purpose, of life purpose, of perhaps divine purpose, uh, which then gives me a sense of values that become shared values because the well-being of you is completely related to the well-being of me. Because there is the level that I am remembering from my vertical connection to the cosmic self, to the universal self, that we are one. And while I appear as separate and distinct with my own material identity and body, I realize that as I radiate forward from even my heart. I am affecting you in my field 20 feet away. And if we keep cultivating that nature of ourselves, 40 or 50 feet away. And it goes beyond that. We have even the domain of radionics, which allows us to transcend space altogether. In fact, our thoughts transcend space. And it happens faster than the speed of light all of which goes to fortify the notion of the oneness of all life, the collection, the collectivity, the connectedness of all life on the level of proton and on the level of energy and the level of spirit. Wow. Are you with me with this? This is kind of cool. If you follow the threads, you see that it brings us to a point of wanting to serve because we see at the highest level serving you is actually serving me. And there is no you and there is no me. There is us and there is we. That sounds rather poetic. Yes, there is a rhythm to it as well. It is poetic and it is in my worldview, which could be our worldview. It is so. Penning the story. I am articulating the narrative, the legend, the myth, the story that could lead us toward a much happier, much more sustainable way of being on this planet, light-footed, loving, grateful, 
playful, celebratory, respectful of all life forms. Can it be done? You betcha. It's been done by our indigenous forefathers, ancestors, foremothers, for millennia. Have they had it all perfected? No. No one had the whole story perfected. Maybe it will never be perfected, but maybe we can fill in more of the blank spots. Maybe like a chain is as strong as its weakest link, we can help to refine the weaker links and add to it. So we will have greater complexity. True, Prigogine said that that is a function of breakdown and chaos, but then we move up the ladder, perhaps, of evolution herself. And by having massive amounts of love, quantity and quality, we are no longer living in the reign of quantity only, based on the work of René Guénon, but we have graduated to the reign also of quality. And we embed our lives, we embed our mind, we embed our brain, and we embed ourselves with this idea of connectedness, of belonging, of safety, of love, of trust, of integrity, I can trust you and I can trust your word, you can trust me and trust mine. And that way, we can hold hands and adventure forward, leap forward, quantumly leap forward, into the creation of a life on earth, a community on earth, with the distinctions between culture and the celebration of those distinctions. The party that is at play and at the heart of nature herself. And I don't think that's saying too much at all. I think nature is celebrating all the time. There are many aspects of nature. Let's not kid ourselves. We have animals eating animals. We have certain kinds of creatures that after they uh, procreate, kill their spouse. I mean, there are some pretty wild things going on in nature. And we... We as creators and as authors can pick and choose which of those we want, to, we want to engage in biomimicry about and let the others go. Yes, we have that sense of discernment, so let's use it. But we can also go beyond that warlike part of our nature, and I say part because I see it as only a small part of our reptilian amygdala level functioning and it rarely needs to be called upon rarely and we can develop the prefrontal cortex we can spill over into the energetic spiritual heart and we can really open up and get into high gear about the nature of reality and what's going on because we're the authors we're the ones making up the whole bloody when we have a sense of life purpose that goes somewhere, somehow in these directions, no matter what horse you decide to ride, whether it's in the world of biology or geology or business or art, none of that matters at core. We want representatives from all fields. And if you don't see what you want, make up a field. 
Have fun. We are here to provide for each other, to look out for each other. Everyone must do their part. Play in this game of life. And oh, heaven will be chasing us down. Well, there's a lot more to be shared. Of course, we can drill down further into the nature of intimate relationships, of relationships in general, no question. And we will do so in subsequent broadcasts. In the meantime, make sure to go visit us, me, at www.mitchellrabin.com. That's M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-R-A-B, as in brilliant, I-N.com. And, of course, www.abetterworld.tv. Get on our weekly free newsletter. Become part of our tribe, our community, our family. Realize that we are a 501c3, a Better World Foundation Unlimited. We so appreciate your donations, which I really see, we see as investments in the sustainability of our future and creating creating a global media that can articulate these kinds of ideas. So thank you again. Donations can be made through our PayPal account or contact me, and I love your contacting me anyway, at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net. So appreciate your participation on all levels. And spread the word. Take this link. Send it to your friends. Send it to your family. Let people know what we're up to, the the kind of thoughts we're having, and sharing with others to expand the mind, expand the heart, so we really can have a better world. We know what the world looks like now, and it brings a tear to do so much better. Let's write the story we want to live. Thank you so much again, Mitchell J. Raven, for A Better World, and I look forward to seeing you all 